Alright, welcome to episode... Crap, hang on, what episode is this? Dang it. Um, okay, that was a false start, so welcome to episode three of the For the Love of Data podcast. I am Robert Furr, and joining today is Deepak. Deepak, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, hey, thanks for introducing me, Robert. So, hey, this is Deepak, uh, and today we will be discussing in brief about some of the new data trends, and then we would go to the... The, the tax 2015 stuff. Yeah, this is going to be a hard hard podcast, a hard blab. For those of you that uh, that might be seeing this replay later on when it's in the show notes, we are uh, doing this on blab for the first time. So you'll get to see our faces. Deepak has some wonderful mood lighting at his place right now. And so it's going to be a hard topic. Some would say it's actually a taxing topic because we're going to be talking about the data of taxes. Good one, Robert. So, <laughs> If for those of you that don't know, that's as good as my jokes get. It doesn't it doesn't improve any anything from there. So yeah, let's let's get started and talk about a few things for news, and then we'll switch over to taxes. So the first thing is, if you haven't heard, a few weeks ago, Gartner's Magic Quadrant for BI came out, and uh, one of the big things from it is they overhauled their methodology. So they basically split off enterprise reporting into a separate report. And the magic quadrant for business intelligence is, is mostly centered around analytics and data visualization. And so I thought it was interesting to see some of the stalwarts out there like Oracle and IBM Cognos kind of fall off the map uh, with the magic quadrant that has been around for a few years. Uh, but Deepak, what did you think? I mean, yeah. So I pretty like found it pretty fascinating, to be honest, the Gartner report. Uh, I was going through it and to see the like Tableau, ClickView, and Microsoft, like they are saying that they are the ones that are gonna show the direction to like they had that uh, the graph in which this this ability to execute against completeness of vision, in which they are showing that Tableau, ClickView, and Microsoft to be the stalwarts. I found that pretty mm -hmm. fascinating. And actually, I was uh, like maybe expecting MicroStrategy to be there somewhere along yep. with those, but actually wasn't the case. I think it fell. Fell uh, like somewhat below in in the quadrant of ability to execute, I guess. Yeah, Power BI Desktop, Microsoft tool, or and I guess they have the cloud version too, which is their Tableau competitor. Surprised me because I didn't realize it was going to be rated as highly as it was, mm -hmm. and I had been overdue in checking that out. So I actually downloaded it after I saw the report and played around with it. It's got some good things going forward, I think, but I think it's still pretty immature compared to Tableau. But uh, I don't know. I think it could. I, I think it could. Uh, be a good contender after a few more releases. And what are your thoughts on the like SaaS being like a bit lower on completeness of vision? Because I actually have used SaaS a bit in a couple of school projects, mm -hmm. and I did find it pretty fascinating. But I don't know, like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I don't have a lot of direct experience with SaaS, but what I've seen is most of the organizations that I've worked with that use it, they use it sort of as a I mean, just a wrapper on top of SQL. They're not doing a lot of visualization and a lot of analytics with it. It's it's more business users that became kind of savvy in SaaS, and they're using it just to basically get data and do very light manipulations. So I don't know if it's just because of what some of the kind of real-world use cases are or, or why it's, it's rated that way. Hmm. So. so something else interesting is, SQL Server now available on Linux in at least a preview release, and it will be coming to you in a full release sometime soon. So 
I was really excited to hear this. This one snuck up on me. I didn't even know about this until I think I think I first saw a link on this in the uh, partially derivative uh, love letters. If you if anyone else checks out that podcast, I'll give a small shout out to them. Um, but I read some articles about this, and one thing interesting is some people are saying it's going to be the end of Microsoft and the data center. And I don't know if I buy that, but uh, I think there is some truth to uh, the fact that there are probably a lot of installations of Windows in data centers that are there just to run SQL Server. So now that that's not a requirement, it could change the landscape there. So what do you think, Deepak? Yeah, I mean, I don't like see, to be honest, like like just completely SQL Server going like, you know, just because they're moving to uh, Linux, Linux box, Microsoft, like Windows not being used at all. Because I think there's a lot of investment right now being done on the Microsoft boxes. So I don't see like the mm -hmm. Windows boxing just going out altogether. But I mean, maybe like we see in future, maybe just Microsoft focusing on like Windows being on cloud. And maybe they just like let Linux take over the, the, the hardware, the data center. Part. So we might mm -hmm. see that. Yeah. I also am going to include a link here in the show notes to a, uh, a posting from Randall Olson, who is one of the moderators on Data is Beautiful on Reddit. And if you guys that are listening in or watching on the replay haven't checked out Data is Beautiful, you got to check it out. It's a Reddit that I try to read almost every day, and they have just really interesting data visualizations on, on all different topics. But um, whenever somebody posts something on Data is Beautiful, they have to also supply some metadata about the tools that they use and uh, Randall did a, a data visualization that showed what the most popular tools are on that. And surprise, number one is Excel. Number two was Python. Number three was D3. And number four was Tableau. The interesting thing to me is Excel was out there about 50% more than the next highest one and about twice as much as uh, Tableau. Some other ones that I've worked with out there that got shout outs. Highcharts was out there, but it wasn't very popular. Google Charts was out there and a few other things that I've never seen. But um, it's just a testament to the durability of Excel, I think. And it's something that is so pervasive in my day-to-day -day job. And for those of you that are listening that uh, we didn't really do a big introduction of ourselves, both Deepak and I work for Capco Energy Solutions, which used to be called SunGuard Consulting Services. And so by day, we are consultants at different uh, clients, primarily in the energy or financial services uh, industries. And like I said, Excel runs amok in the clients that I'm at every day from doing data visualization, manipulation, and everything. And so it's no surprise to me that it's out there as one of the biggest tools in, in the Data is Beautiful subreddit. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, I guess like uh, if like people who are like going to listen to this podcast and they want to go and check out high charts, because I did enjoy using that too. So we didn't get to yeah. like, implement it in on a client side, but they wanted to try some like pretty... Uh, JS uh, charts and the, the one I like was high charts over Google charts and others because it's pretty easy to like if you're making a website and you want to show some data in a pretty format it is one of the yep. things that you go for I think it takes like half an hour just to set up the entire framework from scratch and make a like a basic pie chart or a basic like a workflow or something so I would say that do recommend to use the high charts yep yeah, I used it in the past, and uh, I really liked it. And when I used it, it's actually come along about three more versions. So I'm curious how uh, how much nicer it is and how many more features that it has. Yeah, I think the one we used was like two months back, so maybe it was one of the latest versions. So yeah, they have come a long way up. Yeah. Very cool. But I was still surprised to see like Excel like being like highly rated like even for visualization because Excel runs like you know 
pretty smoothly for data and everything just to crunch numbers but even for visualization to be rated over tableau and everything i would yeah I wasn't well, I th that, yeah. I think it's because a lot of people it, it can use it for so many different things. I mean, I've seen things on that subreddit of like people tracking their weight loss over time. And so it's really easy to just jot that in a spreadsheet and build a, you know, an Excel chart over it. And, uh, you know, I think it's just that it's really easy. It's there and you're probably using it anyway. So that's true. Yeah. yeah. No setup required. Yeah. That's true. Yep. All right. Well, so that's the news for this time. I think it's, about time we get into our main subject, taxes. Now, I don't know about you, Deepak, but I was actually surprised at myself when I did the research on this. I thought I was going to find lots of interesting things about federal taxes, and there is a little bit of that that I think we're going to talk about, but um, I found more interesting things in state taxes. And so yeah. most of the tidbits that I'm going to talk about center around that. Yeah, that sounds pretty right. Uh, yeah, I think the couple of things, I think the research that we did regarding federal tax, one interesting fact that came was that uh, came out was that the top 1% people pay more taxes than, like at least for me, it was a new thing. I didn't know that top 1% people pay more taxes than the, the bottom 90% pay. So that was news for me, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it is pretty surprising when you start looking at some of that. So uh, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about come from taxfoundation.org. Um, which is a site that goes out and they uh, they basically are kind of a value-added uh, propagator of IRS data. So IRS makes a lot of data public on federal taxes from past year, state taxes, and they do different reports that compare states against each other and they compare, uh, you know, trends along federal taxes and things like that. And so um, they've got some recent updates out there for like tw uh, that came out in 2016 for 2015. Um, and you can see all of that in the show notes, but that's going to be a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, so one of the things that I've got to bring up first, I don't have a beer in hand, but, uh, I could definitely use a drink right now. And one of the reasons why is because in one of these reports, they showed a list of what taxes are by state for liquor, beer, and wine. And me being the data junkie that I was, I had to go in and figure out some way to see how all of this related and see how Texas compared to everything else since we're based here in Texas. So I did a little Tableau visualization. I'll put this up in the show notes. And everything that they gave was taxes per gallon of beer, per gallon of wine, and per gallon of spirits. So A, I'm not drinking a gallon of anything anytime soon. And B, a gallon of liquor goes a lot farther than a gallon of beer. So the visualization that I did, I went in and got the conversion factor to convert to the standard like eight ounce, uh, you know, glass of beer, four ounce glass of wine or whatever it is, and one and a half ounce shot. And so brought them all to a common equivalency. And when I looked at taxes, one of the things that I found really surprising was that Missouri, of all places, is one of the best places to drink when you're talking about how much tax you pay per drink. So Missouri was, was overall best. I think California was rated, ranked number two or three. Texas ranked number four. Yeehaw. And the worst place to drink is Washington based on taxes. So for all of those of you up there, I don't know if it's just some depressing weather up in Seattle or what that's causing people to get taxed so much, but, uh, your drink dollars don't go as far there as they do here. So come down and visit us and have a drink with us. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I was expecting, like, to be honest, like, uh, Texas to be one of the top five and, like, going by the lower taxes for drinks. And I think you were right. It was one of the lower ones. And, yeah, I don't know what's up with Seattle. Like, what's up with Washington? Why they have such high taxes for on drinks? Yeah. They don't want people to drink. If somebody, oh, maybe because, like, if somebody lives in Washington and knows why there are so many taxes on alcohol there, either send us a tweet or post a comment or something because I'm really curious about that. Yeah. And I think people over there need a, like a drink, especially in winters, how gloomy it gets over there. So I don't know like why they have. High yeah. Taxes. You would think they would, they would want to have as low as possible there, or maybe they know people are going to drink no matter what. And so they're going to collect that money regardless. So, yep. but yeah, that was interesting. So check that out in the notes. And um, do you want to go over what tax freedom day was? That was another interesting one that we found. Oh, yeah, yeah. So actually, I did not know that term before. Me neither. Yeah, that story. was brand new to me, but it, it blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, so how, how many days basically we are working for free, to be honest, right? Because we are working for the first three and a half months of the year just to be able to pay for the taxes that we give the government. Yep. Yeah, so they release this every year, I think. And basically, they okay. say if you started working on January 1st and you worked every day in, until you made enough money to cover your federal, state, and local taxes for the year, you know, what, how long into the year do you have to work? And I, I call it working for the man. How long do you have to yeah. work for the man before you get to work for yourself and actually take some of that money home? So yeah. what, what was Texas in the list? I think it was like April 14, like then you have to basically work. Okay. Yeah, let me pull yeah. it up here. April, so Texas was April 17th. So we were ranked number yeah. 20. So we were not the best, but definitely not the worst. Um, Louisiana, our neighbor was April 2nd. So they were, they, you have to work the least of any state uh, if you're in Louisiana to cover your taxes for the year. And Mississippi was after that. And then what were some of the ones that were pretty bad here? Yeah, like California and New York, right? <laughs> like, uh, Yeah, California was bad. Connecticut is one of the worst. Connecticut is May 13th. New York is New York and New Jersey are all up there. So actually, New Jersey and Connecticut and New York, all of those, you have to work into May to cover all of your taxes. So you're working an extra two weeks compared to Texas and an extra month compared to the best state. Yep. I mean, that's just... It blows my mind to think that you have to work three and a half to four solid months. And, and it makes sense when you sit back and think about, you know, average tax rates and, and things like that. But when you put it in terms of days into the year that you have to work until you ever start making a penny for yourself, I know. it just, it blew my mind. It was a totally different way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, imagine living in California, like you're basically like working almost like how much, 90 days, 120 days for free just for the man. And then you start making like a single cent for yourself. Yeah, it is. I mean, and I guess to think of it another way, you know, if you work eight hours a day, two and a half. So 120 times eight, right? That's like almost a thousand hours. So you're working like a thousand hours for free. Yeah, like so two and a half to three hours of every day you work oh, yeah. is, is spent working to pay taxes. That's crazy. And I'm uh, like makes you want to take a long lunch out yeah. of it, right? And you brought you want to bring you brought up a good point about like Texas being what twentieth, right? Was it twenty? Yeah. Yeah. So I was ex actually expecting it to be like one of the top tens, like you know, because since we don't have any state taxes, I thought that maybe we, we are like the tax freedom day is gonna be like maybe in early April or something. But yeah, and I think just the property taxes probably get us there since we pay higher property taxes than a lot of places. Yeah. 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 That yeah, that might be right. 
So as we were looking through these reports, I mean, I noticed they had a lot of data on different states, property taxes, sales taxes, gas taxes is another one that was pretty interesting. Um, and, and, you know, things on like liquor, beer and wine. And so gas taxes was something that was pretty surprising to me too. Um, so we pay 20 cents per gallon to taxes, which is, makes us basically we're number 42 as far as the amount of tax that we pay. So we're near the bottom, which is nice. Yeah. California again, not so nice. They're number five. They pay 40 over 40 cents per tax and Washington again mm-hmm. on this one. Washington is number two. See, I'm, so they're almost the highest. Because like Microsoft and Amazon being there, I think they just think that everyone works for them and they make like maybe so, or maybe nobody drives and nobody drinks, so they have to tax them as much as possible to make up for the other people. I don't know. Pennsylvania was number one on this. That was really surprising to me. So fifty cents of your taxes in Pennsylvania, or fifty cents of every gallon of gas in Pennsylvania, goes to uh, goes to taxes. So. That was kind of surprising. I'm trying to see who beat Texas on this list. I'm not really seeing anybody off the top of my. Oh, New Jersey. New Jersey's dirt yeah. cheap. Fourteen and a half. Cents Arizona, there. New Mexico. So there are. Oh yeah, yeah. Both of those two. Yeah. So we'll have this in the show notes. But that was pretty enlightening too. I've I've always kind of wondered about this one, but I've never really, uh, you know, I've never had the data. And I think they should make this apparent. Like you should almost have a little gauge on the gas pump when you're filling up that says, Hey, you know, every 20 cents of this is just going to taxes. So it might encourage people to get a Prius out of it or maybe go commute or carpool or something like that a little bit more. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, imagine at the current gasoline price, I mean, it's like how much $2 a gallon. So if you look at, if you're in Pennsylvania, you're basically paying like one fourth of a gallon for taxes. Right. Every single time you buy a gallon of gas. So that's a pretty steep amount for gas, uh, for low taxes. Yeah. 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 So all of these things together, these were all state tax related things that I never knew about. And I found really interesting when we started diving into the research on this. And uh, like I said, I was planning to spend a lot more time talking about federal taxes, but I just kind of got taken away with that and, and found lots of interesting things there. So you were talking about federal taxes when we first started. So let's go back to that. Oh yeah, and so tell me again. You were saying like the top one percent stat. Oh yeah, that stat was like pretty mind blowing for me. So just to know that like that like in America, like top one percent people who earn money, they pay as much tax as the bottom ninety percent. That's a pretty right. That basically like tells you like how much wealth is being like held by the top one percent in America, right? So that was a pretty like a, like mind blowing number for me. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's really crazy to think that that they pay more than the bottom 90% combined. And then another stat that goes along with that is that their effective income tax rate, which is 27.1%, is over eight times higher than everybody in the bottom 50%. So the bottom 50% on average has an effective tax rate of 3.3%. Wow. So it really is mind-blowing. But the other thing that's kind of crazy to me about these stats is there's a big disparity there between, you know, the top 1% and the bottom 90% just in the U S. But if you were to step back, I don't have stats on this, but if you were to step back and think about the top 1% in the U S versus, you know, the other 90% in over the entire world, Mm -hmm. I'm really curious what they pay because I know that, you know, there's a stat that something like, you know, the, even, I think it's something like the top 50% of the people in the U S 
are within the top 1% of income earners in the world overall. Oh, wow. So to think about that would be really interesting, but I would also be curious to see what the effective tax rates are of other countries and how that compares. So it'd be interesting to see like total income versus the rest of the world and total taxes versus the rest of the world. Yeah. And also, I mean, just to like uh, point out one thing, which I found pretty interesting was the way, uh, like the government places people in different like brackets that you are in the top 1% or 10% is based on mm -hmm. your adjusted gross income. So one number which I was expecting like to be in the top 10%, uh, top 1% in US, I thought you have to make like almost $300,000 a year. But the number is bigger mm -hmm. than that. It's $420,000. So I missed that stat. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you want to be in the top 1% of people earning money in US a year, then you've got to make like more than 420 grand. Interesting. Yeah, I, I want to be there, but uh, oh, I see, I see it here. Yeah, four hundred twenty-eight thousand. Yep. Wow. Well, that is a goal to aspire uh, to aspire to, but uh, I'm definitely a good ways away from there. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe like I'll have we to have a like podcast going strong. Maybe yeah, we can look for it for the next the next couple of years. I guess. Yeah, if anyone wants to give me a donation to try to get me up to that top one percent, feel free to do so. I will gladly take it and I'll do a, a data visualization on the impact of that or something like that. So the other th the other interesting thing here, um, so they have a chart that talks about the different percentages and the number of returns total is about 138 million. And so this is not an exact science, but we took the total number of returns and this was data from 2013. So I think that was the latest data that they had published um, through the IRS for a complete year to analyze. So if you take the total estimated number of returns for 2013, and you just assume it's relatively the same for this year, and you assume that the, the deadline to file taxes for individuals is April 18th. If you were to start with, if you were to take the number of days between January 1st and, and, and April 18th, assuming that January 1st is the earliest day that someone could get a W-2, from their employer um, to do their taxes. 138 million returns, 108 days. If you start figuring out how frequently on average people are filing returns, it boggled my mind. So it's about 1.2 million a day, which is how much per hour? How much did that work out to? It was like 53,000 an hour. Yeah, so 53,000 an hour. So we've been talking for about half an hour now. So in that time, about 26, 27,000 returns have been filed. And when you take that down to the second, that's 15 returns per second. That is a, that is a really cool amount of data to be churning through the IRS website, churning through TurboTax, and I don't know, any of the others where most of this traffic is probably going. So it's, a, it's an interesting bit of scale. The other thing that's crazy about it is this is 138 million data points over four months, give or take, once a year. I mean, I know people are gonna, some people are gonna file late and so on, but if you think about that compared to like the number of Google searches that happen per second or the number of you know, transactions on Amazon, it probably pales in comparison dramatically. I don't have those stats off the top of my head, but this number is mind blowing as it is, it, it still doesn't scale up to you know, some of the things that we do every day, even though this, especially at this time, right around March and April, feels like one of the most important things that, that you can do. Yep. So, I don't know. It blew my mind to think 15, se 15 per second, 15 per second, 15 per second, 53,000 per hour. I don't know. 
it's just crazy. I wish I could get access to that data. And, and actually you can. So for those of you that haven't looked at the IRS data, they release it. Like I said, they've, they've got these kind of aggregated stats that they release and the tax foundation does these reports on top of it. But you can also get access to just raw data at a zip code level. And so they'll basically take every field in your return, like total income, adjusted gross income, um, you know, taxes, the amount of charitable donations and everything. And they will gross that up to a zip code level. And they'll do certain things like if a certain number of people aren't within one zip code, they throw the zip code out because they don't want to, they, they want to maintain the anonymity of the data set. But you can go in and at a zip code by zip code basis, you can get all of these really interesting stats. So you could compare, you know, how your zip code compares to your neighboring zip codes or how a zip code in, you know, a specific area in Dallas compares to a specific one in LA and New York and Houston along the lines of, you know, average income or average charitable donations or, you know, amount of foreign tax paid. And so it's really interesting to, to be able to get nuggets like that and compare them or take that data by zip code and compare it to other data that you have. So I think there's some really powerful insights that you could get there. And I've played with it a little bit, I think too. Yeah. Um, but I just think that uh, that's a little bit of an untapped resource that I didn't know it was out there for free. And uh, so if you are interested in something like that, you can go out to the IRS website. I think it's in maybe the tax archives. I can't remember exactly where you get it. Yeah, I think you're uh, right. it was in the tax archives. I was checking it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So overall, I uh, I just recently did my taxes. I don't know. Have you done your taxes? I, yet? I did. I did this weekend. How, how'd you do it? I used like the the the, the online tool. Forgot the name. Uh, Double tax. The common one. Yeah. That's what I did too. So I did that last year and this year, and I've been pretty happy with it. Like I like the wizard yep. overall. Um, I did have an accountant that was doing our taxes before, um, but uh, I don't know. I finally got up the courage to take matters into my own hands, and it probably takes a I don't know. It takes several hours, but uh, it is pretty interesting to see. And actually, one of the things I just like to see is the little wizard that they have that walks you through it and how it changes year over year. Yes. And uh, they're doing a lot of good things with that UI. So I, uh, I don't know. I'm a big fan as, as much as it pains me to see the, the tax stuff and the potential of money going away. At least it looks pretty as it's going away and, and the return is being filed. That's true. And I think I, I just realized one thing while just like you were going over the numbers of how many uh, returns are being filed every year. So, so we found out that like 138 million uh, returns mm -hmm. filed in 2013, right? So if you imagine like a company like TurboTax, so if they get 10% of all the people using there to file the tax return and imagine if they're paying like $10, which is a lot lower than they pay, right? That mm -hmm. was like $138 million for them right from that there. If only That's 10, true. And if only 10% of the people use their software, only giving them $10 a piece, which is, I, I'm pretty sure people are paying like up to like $100, but let's take a conservative yeah. amount, $10. That's $138 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah, you know, now that's something that I'm sure the data is out there, but I haven't looked at is like the number of 1040EZ returns mm -hmm. versus 1040s. And, um, you know, like TurboTax has a free version, but it covers only the most basic tax situations. Yeah. And then there's one that's like 35 bucks and then one that's like 70 bucks or whatever yeah. and 100 bucks. So it would be really interesting to see what their average, um, their average income per customer is 
and really what their market share is. I'm kind of curious about that. But yeah, now you're not doing a lot. Because I think that's the most widely known tool, like at least like people, everyone kind of knows about it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's about it for taxes. Anything else you want to share with the share with the uh, the listeners? Yeah, I think it was like my first ever podcast slash blab like ever. Oh, that is true. This this is my first blab too. Yeah. So it has been interesting. We'll see if hopefully this thing has been recording the whole time, and we'll actually get to share it with people. If not, this will be really good practice. I I can see like a red red dot on the left of my screen like blinking. So I think it's been recording. I think All right. That's a sign. Yeah. I think that's very cool. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed it. And uh, for those of you that are listening, you can follow the For the Love of Data podcast on Twitter. It is at Love of Data. Um, or you can go to ForTheLoveOfData.com, and that's where we'll post show notes and we'll have a link to the podcast. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, so we'd love to have you there. Please leave comments and ask questions. Um, and you can also follow Deepak on Twitter. What's your. Twitter handle there. Oh, Deepak Ninety Mitha. Okay. Yeah, and you'll be able to see that on the replay if uh, uh, if you check out the replay on Blab. So, anyway, thanks very much for joining us, and until next time, good luck on your taxes, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, thanks Deepak. Thanks, y'all.